0: John chapter 12, verse 27 through 30. The title of this sermon is Five Helps for a Troubled Soul. Let's hear now the word of God together. John 12, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking right now. And he says this, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there who heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. We're going to stop right there. Let's pray one more time together. God, we thank you for your word today. I thank you, God, that we're not gathered around human thoughts or opinions or wisdom. We are here to hear from you, the living God. We're here to hear from you, Jesus. We're here to learn from you. We're here to learn what it means to follow you, to learn what, what, it, what it was that you did, Jesus, for us on the cross, to learn why you were troubled in your soul. Lord, many of us may have troubles in our souls. Many of us have tasted and experienced what that is. And what better place to go than to Jesus, the one who himself experienced this very thing, to be troubled in his soul. And so Lord, we come, we gather around you. Spirit of God, would you help us, give us the ability to fix our attention onto your word and onto Jesus this morning. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. So we look to you now, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are a human being, you know what it is to have trouble in your soul. I have a a two-month-old daughter and she knows what it is to have trouble in her soul. The, the The faces she makes when she is hungry is like the most troubled face you've ever seen. It just melts your heart. If you've lived any bit of life, you know what it is to have trouble in your soul. And what is almost shocking is that Jesus knows what it is to have trouble in his soul. In fact, Jesus knows what it is to have a troubled soul more than any human has ever known it. The trouble that Jesus faced in his soul is a trouble that no one has yet faced. If you remember last week, Jesus was teaching us what it is to follow Him and, and to go to the cross and, and He was speaking of the glory of the cross and He said, if, unless a wheat falls into the ground and dies, it, it won't bear fruit and He says, I'll lay down my life and bear fruit and if you want to follow me, you'll lay down your life and bear fruit and if you were here last week, it was kind of like a, okay, the cross is worth it, right? And so you would expect Jesus to be like, yes, come on, okay, the cross. But then look at our text. Look how it starts. Verse 27, he says, now is my soul troubled. You see, Jesus knew the cross was important. He knew it was glorious He knew it would bring life and fruit for the kingdom of God. He knew it would purchase your salvation if you are a Christian. And yet he didn't just kind of handle it glibly. He didn't just keep it in his head. Okay, it will be good. So I'm gonna push through it. It troubled his soul. It deeply troubled him. And as Jesus was troubled, he models for us What do you do when your soul is troubled? What are you to think? What are you to say? How are you to feel? How are you to deal with your emotions? And if there's anyone to learn from what to do with our own troubled soul, it's the perfect man, Jesus. And so as we walk through a few of these verses, we're gonna see five helps for a troubled soul. You could also call it five steps for a troubled soul. We we see Jesus walk through these five things. We see, this is how Jesus handles troubles in his own soul. Well, take a quick break for the train. (laughs) You never know how long it's gonna take. Maybe I should just push through. (laughs) I'll push through until I have to. So number one, the first help, the first step we see Jesus make is this. Make an honest complaint. Make an honest complaint. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. Jesus is just straight up about it. He's honest. It's not hidden. He's not faking it. He's not hiding anything now is my soul troubled. Think about it. This is Jesus talking, my soul. This is the perfect human. And yet his soul is troubled. A perfect, take this in, a perfect soul can be troubled. It's not sinful to be troubled. It's not wrong to be troubled. It's part of being a human being in this fallen world. We're finite, we're fallible, and we suffer. Because of the effects of sin in this world and death, we are troubled. That word troubled is a is a pretty heavy word. It's also translated stirred. Uh, Jesus uses it when he's at the grave of Lazarus. It's it's to be disturbed, it's to be terrified. It also invokes to be horrified. Or to have anxiety. Like, this is a heavy word. My soul is troubled. It's really not a stretch to use the word depressed when we think about what it is to be troubled. This is as heavy and as strong a word as he could use. My soul is troubled. You know, some of the most godly people throughout history have experienced this. Could picture Job in anguish over the death of his children, the loss of everything, and yet he didn't sin. We can picture David in this state. Could picture Jeremiah who wrote the book Lamentations in this state. We can picture Paul said, "I was we were so despairing to the point of death. And of course here we're looking at Jesus. Now we would ask, now why is Jesus so troubled? Why is this happening to him? Well, as we know what, what he just said, he's thinking about the cross. He's thinking about the cross. He's not just thinking about his physical death, though that will be his physical death. He's thinking about what will happen when he offers his soul as an offering for sinners. He's thinking about what he's about to experience as he drinks the cup of the wrath of God. My soul is troubled. The verb there is in the perfect tense, which means it's it's a continual thing. It's anytime he thinks about the cross, it's like that pit in your stomach. It's as as... As John is is coming to the last days of Jesus from chapter 12 to the end, it's just the the last few days it zooms in on Jesus. And and in the background, you can know there's like this pit in Jesus's stomach through the rest of the gospel. His soul is troubled. He's suffering. He's, He's thinking about what is coming his way. And we know Jesus was troubled because he would be your substitute that that we all collectively as sinners rightfully deserve to drink the wrath of God. I think it's important for us to recognize here that if you are a Christian, Jesus was troubled in such a way so that you wouldn't have to be troubled in this way. The trouble Jesus is looking at and will face is a trouble that we won't have to experience. And so Christian, I wanna say this as lovingly as I can, no matter what your troubles are and they're real, thank you, God, that it's not this trouble. He's gonna go to the cross for our sins. And I just wanna say, if you have yet to trust in Jesus, I wanna say this with all the love I can, there is trouble coming for you. There's trouble coming at the end of your life you will stand before a holy God and you will be justly punished for all of your sins. But hear this, Jesus troubled himself. He went to the cross so that you wouldn't have to, so that you wouldn't have to fear that day when you stand before God as a sinner. So if you've yet to trust in him, consider this, trouble is coming. Consider his love for you that he would take that trouble for you if you would turn from your sin and trust in him. And so we see Jesus honest about trouble. And a little application for us here is he he models for us to be honest with our troubles. I want to read a verse out of Psalm 142 verse 2. David says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Today, if you are facing trouble, if your soul is troubled, the first thing you are to do like Christ is to be honest about it, to speak about it, to tell of it, to have an honest complaint, not to hide it, not to stuff it down not to put it off, not to just compartmentalize and use your brain and ignore your soul. We are to be honest about our troubles. We're Christians. That means we need Christ. That means we're a mess. That means we're, we're not to expect to have it all together and not be troubled. Even Jesus was troubled. So let's be honest. That's the first thing we see here from Christ. Be honest about your trouble. Secondly, from Christ and the second step, the second help we see here is to, hear me, put questions to yourself, to to question yourself, to put questions to yourself, to, to preach to yourself, if you will. Look what Jesus says in verse 27, the next phrase, and what shall I say? What shall I say? He's not giving full vent here to... His emotions. He's not just staying in his complaint. He turns a corner and he begins to, to question himself, to, to, to speak out loud. He's wrestling. What shall I say? And isn't it amazing how human Jesus is? Jesus, who knew everything, said, what shall I say? He was human. He knew what it was to be troubled and to not even know what to say. He had the experience of being at a loss for words, of wrestling with his own soul and emotions. And so Jesus is modeling for us. Okay, yeah, be honest about it, but, but, then, but then do something else. You need to start questioning yourself. Rather than just react to your trouble, rather than just give full vent to your trouble endlessly, he says, question yourself. Put questions to yourself. We see this modeled throughout the Bible. Psalm 43, verse 11, the psalmist says to himself, "Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me?" We see the prodigal in the in the in the parable, the prodigal son, do this. Luke 15, he's he's in the the mud, eating, wishing he could eat the food the pigs were eating. Luke 15 says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? See what he's doing? He's reasoning with himself. What am I doing? (laughs) This is is miserable. He's questioning himself. What am I doing right now? We mentioned Jeremiah who wrote the book of Lamentations. He saw the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And the book is him just pouring his heart out to God and I want to read a few verses out of Lamentations chapter 3 together as Jeremiah puts questions to his own soul. Lamentations 3, if I can find it. Where is Lamentations, honestly? I'm in Ezekiel. I might keep going. God help me. It's after Jeremiah, before Ezekiel. There it is. Hey, I'm human too. Just (laughs) Lamentations, there's a lot going on. Lamentations chapter three. I'm gonna read verses 17 and 18 and then we're gonna jump ahead to verse 21 to 24. Lamentations 3, 17. Hear him do the first step. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. In verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And then here, verse 24, pay attention. Look, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. He's not talking to the Lord. He's, he's talking to his soul. His soul is saying, the Lord is my portion. Jeremiah, when he was a mess, just his soul just kept saying, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. When your soul is troubled and you've been honest with it, begin to question yourself, speak to yourself. There was a, a Pastor in the first half of the 1900s, he was a a, a world class physician. His name was uh, Doctor Martin Lloyd Jones, a world class physician. He worked for the the doctor who who served the king. And he saw a lot of depression. And then he, he went on to be a pastor and he wrote this book called Spiritual Depression. And he writes of this, this phenomenon of what it is to speak to yourself. Listen to what he says. He's referring to the psalmist, Psalm 43. Why are you cast down O my soul? Listen to what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. This is from a medical doctor and a pastor speaking about our souls. He says to, of the, the psalmist, his soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self Listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business do you have to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself and say to yourself, "Hope thou in God," instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And so Jesus is doing that. He's, he's, he's asking himself, "What shall I say? What shall I say? So first, we're to be honest, second, we're to put questions to ourselves. Third, we are simply to pray. We are then to address. God. We are to bring ourselves to God. Look what he says next. What shall I say? Father. Just let that sink in. What shall I say? Father. That's where he goes. That's what he says. Father. Then he says, Save me from this hour. Now, a little interesting point here. Um, in the original language, there's no punctuation. So we have to infer from context things like question marks. And there's some debate uh, in the commentators of, is, is it two questions or one question? Some say, he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, meaning no question. Meaning this is a prayer like it was in Gethsemane. What shall I say? And then he says, Father, save me. Or as the majority of translations take it, it's two questions. So, so what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And it's interesting and we can get into that, but, but the, the, the salient point is what does he do? He goes to his father and he prays. He goes to his father and he prays regardless of if, if he's asking for salvation or if he's asking should he even ask for salvation he, what is significant is he went to his father and he brought his troubled soul to god in prayer as hard as it is to fathom we see the second member of the trinity crying out with his human flesh to the first member in prayer father father Hebrews 5, 7 speaks of this. Let me read that for you. Speaking of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, loud cries. Father, save me. And I want us just to notice a few observations of his prayer here, practical now for us. He approaches God as his father. If you've been born again, if you've trusted in God, you don't just go to God as a general like prayer, re- prayer request service. He's your father. He's your heavenly father. By the blood of Jesus, you can approach the almighty God with confidence and boldness. Like a little kid approaches his father. Kids can be pretty audacious, And what they do and say and ask of their parents. And God is our father. We're allowed to go to him as our father if we are in Christ. Secondly, he says, save me. Think about the humility of Jesus saying that. Look at the simplicity of his prayer. He just goes like a needy child with a simple request to his father. If anyone could have made an eloquent prayer in that moment, it was Jesus. Yet it was five words, I think five or six short words. He says, from this hour, he's he's thinking about his suffering and his troubled soul. Listen, this stings and it's true. One of the greatest things about your troubles is it drives you to Jesus it drives you to your father in prayer. That's why James can so harshly say, are you suffering? Rejoice. (laughs) Because you're gonna, it's gonna drive you to God. It's gonna drive you to be needy. Man, if your prayer life is waning, often the Lord may allow some suffering to drive you back to himself. One pastor has said, you know, Jonah was asleep in the ship but he was praying in the belly of the whale. (laughs) Isn't that true? He was asleep in the ship in rebellion against God. Apparently his conscience wasn't bothering him too much. He was just taking a nap. But when he was about to die in the belly of a fish, he was praying. And so we are to humbly, simply bring our troubles to our God. I want to read one more short quote on prayer and and what is the essence of prayer? Does it need to be profound? Does it need to be long? What do we need to do? Another old Puritan pastor, Thomas Brooks, says this, certainly the very soul of prayer lies in pouring out of one's soul before the Lord. Though it be in sighs, groans, and tears, one sigh and groan from a broken heart is better pleasing to God than all human eloquence. That's prayer. A sigh brought to God is more pleasing to Him than us coming up with this wonderful, theologically accurate, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, all these thoughts, prayers. He just wants our hearts to be poured out to Him. And so we've seen when our souls are troubled, we are to state an honest complaint. We are to question ourselves. We are to pray forth, forth. We are to reject any desire contrary to God. We are to reject any desire contrary to God. Look what Jesus says after his prayer. The very next word is but, but, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. If it was a question, Father, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. He answers it with, nope, that's not what I'm going to pray. I've come for this. I'm going to reject and resist even my desire to not go through this. And I'm going to submit to God. Now that can kind of blow our minds a little bit because Jesus is perfect. And if Jesus is sinless and he's perfect, why would Jesus ever need to reject a desire that he had? But listen, it's because Jesus is perfect that he recoiled from going to the cross. It's because Jesus is perfect. He did not want to become sin. He did not want to drink the wrath of God. That's the most sane thing to desire. It was because he was perfect. He didn't want to die. That's not a wrong desire. That's a good desire. It's an understandable desire. That's what a reasonable person should desire. And so Jesus in his humanity was so troubled because he knew in a few short days he would suffer greatly as a sacrifice for sins. And so he brings these desires. God, I'm not looking forward to this. If there's any other way, Could you save me from this? But then look what Jesus does. He utterly denies himself. Jesus denies himself. He says, no, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He accepts not what his good human desires may be. These are good desires. They're human desires. They're fair enough. But he even rejects those things because he wants what God wants. He's willing to lay down even good human desires so that God's will would be done. And let's be real, if Jesus did that, if Jesus was willing to deny himself in his deep anguish of his soul, how much more his disciples, he trusts in God's sovereign plan for this hour. For this hour, I want you to think about praying that, God. This, I don't like this, Lord. I'm suffering, but I'm bringing this to you, and I'm questioning myself: Should I? Should I not want this? Should I want this? I'm, I'm asking. I'm testing myself. But then we would say, "But do you know what, Lord? Not what I want, what you want, because you've sovereignly brought me here. I trust." that your sovereign hand is even over my troubles. And so I'll deny myself and say, Lord, you've brought me to this hour and not my will, but your will be done. This moment that Jesus is having is like a a preview of the cross. It's a preview of him laying down his life so that the, the will of God can be, the plan of God can be fulfilled in him. And I just want to point out, listen, I, this, this happens to me. Often when we're suffering, we think we should like get a pass on like honoring God and following him and denying ourselves. I, I do. Hey, yeah, I'll follow God and deny myself, you know, like with normal stuff. But right now, like look what's happening to me. I think I deserve a little something, a little, you know, little opportunity for the flesh over here. You know, it's reasonable for me to say that over here. You know, maybe I could consume a little more of this right now because, because I'm troubled. We see in the very moment of, of anguish, Jesus denies himself. In the moment of suffering, he denies himself. He's prepared himself for this moment to know, man, when I'm suffering, I will deny myself and I will deny and reject any desire that is contrary to God that we would put that resolve in advance in our hearts. And whatever comes, whatever may come in my life, in my health, in my relationships, whatever it may cost to follow Jesus, I'm resolved. I will deny myself and I will follow him to make those things in advance. And and so Jesus shows us a better way rather than giving into a fleshy desire in the moment. He denies himself. And he submits to God. And so we've seen, he made an honest complaint. He put a question to himself. He, he prayed, he rejected any desire contrary to God's desires and plans. And, and finally, and most beautifully, the fifth thing we do is we seek the glory of God. We seek the glory of God. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. That came out of the mouth of a man who was deeply troubled. Father, glorify your name. What's the final plea of Christ in his suffering? That God would be glorified. What fueled and motivated Christ to go to the cross more than anything It was the glory of God. What was uppermost in his mind in this moment? It was glory of God, the glory of God. This is why when he taught us how to pray in the Lord's prayer, he begins, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, set apart. He's saying the first thing is the glory of God. And we see here, the last thing is the glory of God. You know, when we're suffering we can feel like we're, we're being consumed by our troubles, by our emotions, by our circumstances. It can feel all-consuming. But there is one thing that is more consuming than your troubles. And it's the glory of God. There's something that consume even that. It, it, can, it is so consuming, so big, so strong, so able to bear up anything that it can sustain you through your troubles. It's bigger, it's more lasting, it's more glorious, it's more beautiful, it's more powerful than anything we'll ever face. And it's what got Jesus through that, that, that God would be glorified. And as we saw last week, it is as Jesus submits to the will of the Father and goes to the cross, as he embraces the cross, that God is most glorified. That's how God will be glorified, by embracing the cross that was set before him. that's how we see the character and majesty and justice and mercy of God as Jesus went to the cross. And though we're never gonna die on the cross for people's sins, it's a similar pattern. The way God is glorified in us is as we pick up our crosses and we're consumed with above all else, the glory of God. We're just consumed, that, that we would train our souls to walk and complain and be honest and then question ourselves and then pray and, and then deny ourselves. And then finally, that we would so train ourselves to follow Christ, that the spirit of God would help us remember Jesus here. That we would say at the end of this moment I'm having, I just want the glory of God. I want whatever would glorify God. I want God to be glorified in me, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of my depression. It may not be over yet. It may not be better yet. It may be worse. Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. But do you know what? I want the glory of God. And as we do that, God is glorified. We're displaying to others that God is worth it that God is glorious, that God is bigger and better and more satisfying, even in our suffering. Now I wanna just close this really briefly with the last couple verses here. After these five steps, after Jesus walks through these things together, um, I want us to notice the response of God and just take a few things. So let's read again verses 28 through 30. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard, that heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. I just want us to notice three things as we wrap up really quickly. First, notice the audible voice of God. Wouldn't it be nice in our moments of agony to get one of these, Right? Just hang in there, son. <laughs> hang in there. Uh, but we know from the Gospels, God only did this three times. The Father only audibly spoke three times: first at the baptism of Jesus, second at the transfiguration, and third, oddly enough, in this moment. This is the; these are the three times. And why? Why did God speak there? Well, Jesus says, "It's actually not even for me." Jesus knew who he was. He knew who his father was. He knew the game plan. He knew what would happen. This was for others. Why why would God speak audibly in this moment for others? Well, listen, it's the same reason God allowed and orchestrated the ministry of Christ to have all these miracles. It's why the audible voice of God showed up every time. It was so people would know who Jesus was. It was so everyone else would know, this is the son of God. When he healed someone, when, when he fed crowds when the voice came he said listen to him god wanted others to see jesus as the son of god god was validating jesus in the eyes of his disciples that was the purpose so you know as tempting as it may be for us to just be like god could you please give me an audible voice right now in my suffering listen this is, a, this is a sad joke, but I'm gonna say it. If you wanna hear the audible voice of God, read your Bible out loud. He has already vindicated Jesus. He's already given you his truth that you need in that moment. That's why he spoke audibly to Jesus so that we would know, okay, I wanna follow Jesus. Whatever he says, whatever he does, whatever has been written by the spirit of God in the word of God, that's, that's enough. That's enough. Secondly, I want us to notice that most people actually heard something, but they didn't really hear. Some said, oh, that was thunder. Oh, what, what a crazy thing of thunder. Others were like, no, let's be honest, that wasn't thunder. It was probably an angel, right? But no one here in this crowd was willing to say, I think that was the voice of God. And that, that's a sad and shocking truth that is still the case today we have the voice of God. And when people hear it, to some, it's just noise. Others, yeah, maybe it's a spiritual book. Maybe an angel delivered. So maybe there's something in there. But to others, it is literally the voice of God speaking to us. That's how it works. It's weird. When God speaks, it's just thunder to some. It's like maybe spiritual to others, but for his kids, it's his voice. It's his word. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the last thing I, wanna, I want us to notice here is this. I want us to notice what it was God said to Jesus. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now, what's he saying? What's he talking about? I've glorified it. I have glorified it. Well, we know that the glory of God is a a theme. It's something Jesus often refers to in the Gospel of John. He is there for the glory of God. He's seeking the glory of his Father. That God is glorified in Jesus and the cross. What God is saying is Jesus, everything you've done to this point has brought me glory. And I have glorified my name through you. In your birth, in your baptism, in your ministry. In your obedience to me, you have brought glory to me. I've glorified my name through you. I have. And Jesus, I'm going to do it again. And what he's saying is when you go to the cross, and when you die, and when you rise again, I will glorify my name through you, Jesus. I have, and I will. And as as it's true for Jesus, it's true for us. Listen, again, we're never gonna gonna carry the type of cross Jesus carried. But we will suffer. We may even suffer for Jesus. And as, as Jesus cried out to his father and his father heard him and was with him, even honored him in that moment. So look at verse 26. This is something we didn't really hit on at the end of our text last week. Verse 26: "If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also." Listen, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. If any one of us follows Christ in our sufferings, if we honor God, if we walk with God, if we've trusted in Christ in His substitutionary death, and we're, we're walking out these steps, God will actually. It's so weird to say, honor us. He'll honor us. He'll show up in circumstances and he'll, he'll honor us as we're trying to follow him. It's so weird to say that. But it's what, it's what Jesus says happens. It's what we see happen. As Jesus is praying that God would be glorified, God shows up and says, I'm gonna glorify you, son. I'm gonna glorify you on the cross. And so I just wanna close with an exhortation for us that no matter where we are at and what suffering we are facing, and I know that there is real trouble that many of you are facing, the glory of God is enough. Jesus, his blood was enough. You're not suffering, Christian, because God's pouring out wrath on you. He did that. Christ took that for you. And so whatever we're facing, Would we be honest with God? Would we be diligent to question ourselves, not just to stay in that place? Would we pray? Would we deny ourselves? And above all, would we seek the glory of God? And as crazy as it is, we will stand before him one day and he may say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. So Jesus, that is our desire to follow you and to give glory to your father, to give glory to you, God. God, I really do pray for those who are suffering and are troubled right now. I thank you, Spirit of God, that you are with them and you are able to pray for them far better than they can pray for themselves. And you are able to remind them of these truths. You are able to comfort them as their comforter. You are able to bring them continually back to Jesus who suffered in our place and showed us how to suffer. Lord, I pray for us that we would, we would suffer well like Jesus, that we would even suffer well with one another. Jesus said these things out loud. He shared these things with us, with his disciples. They, they witnessed all of this. He brought them in. He asked for prayer. He poured out his soul even to his, to his friends. Lord, would we be Christians? Would we be a church who are able to do that, to suffer well with one another. God, I pray for those like myself who may be too proud to share with someone else ways that we're troubled. I pray for the proud ones among us that we would humble ourselves and we would be willing to share those troubles with one another. Lord, I pray for those who are just in agony and can't get out of it and can't see the other side and it's felt like a really long time. Lord, I know that they're here you know them, you see them, you love them and you care for them. And if you cared for them to the extent of giving your own son to die on the cross, certainly you will care for them today in their needs. Certainly you will be with them. Certainly you will be enough for them. And so I just ask you to be merciful to them, Lord, and you would satisfy them and and bring even some relief to their their suffering souls, even as they, right now, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we sing, as we take communion together, help us just lift our eyes for a moment above us to just fix our eyes on Jesus, to desire the glory of God to be made known among us today. Thank you, God, you are able to care for and shepherd us unlike anyone else. And so our hope is in you.